This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com WSJ. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Money Beat. And, you know, we talk about a lot of things on the Money Beat show here related to the markets. One of the things that I don't think we talk about enough is just the markets. And today we're going to talk about the markets, the stock market, a little bit of the bond market, maybe even the Bitcoin market. Uh, some of our – actually, we have just about the entire Money Beat team here today. You have me and Grocer, of course, in the studio. We also have Money Beat reporters Ben Eisen and Chris Dietrich. And this is this, this whole podcast is kind of going to, kind of going to be an am- amalgamon. Did I say that word Ama- right? Amalgam. Amalgam. Amalgam of everything we've been writing this week because there are some very interesting trends going on in the markets yeah, no, I, I didn't know who you were talking to there, Paul. Sorry. Um, there, there are, uh, I don't know if they're still interesting to us since we've written so much about them, but there are definitely trends in the market. And one of them is big tech stocks. The other one is we have Bitcoin going up. We have gold going up. We have stocks going up. Um, you have prices on treasuries going up. Right. That, I, what is going on? Yeah, that's the interesting one. And, and Ben, you were in on that that story um, let's start there. You know, everything seems to be going up, and that is not usually the case in the markets. Yeah, it's been interesting. We uh, in the story we actually called it the everything rally because, well, it's pretty much everything. It's not everything. Oil's going down. Uh, the dollar is, has been falling, but pretty much other than that, you have stocks go up. Uh, bonds are going up. Bonds, bonds more often than not go up when stocks go down, but they're both going up. Uh, you have gold going up, which is sort of a traditional safe haven play uh, when people are sort of worried about the, about other markets. And then you also have uh, we threw Bitcoin in there too because it's just pretty astounding how much it's risen. Uh, it's more than as as you've written a lot, Paul. It's more than tripled uh, this year, or it had at, at the time that we had written that story. Right. And um, you know, Bitcoin was once worth just like cents, like five years ago. Now it's worth almost three thousand dollars, I think. Right? Um, so almost, yeah, almost. Yeah. So, so it's this idea that all these things that have different factors driving them, uh, you know, they're all going up, and uh, th- that in, in itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it does raise sort of the question about. You know, everything that goes up sharply can also go down sharply, and well, and even well, more and, than and, that. I mean, I guess the question is why? Why is this happening now? I mean, it's it's. I guess the the explanation that uh, seems to make the most sense is that we're sort of in this Goldilocks period uh, to some extent. You have the Fed is is uh, lifting rates, but they're lifting rates slowly. Um, you have uh, policy that is being undertaken in Washington, kind of uh, still possible, but doesn't really look like it's going to happen very quickly. We're kind of in this period of, of, of stagnation. Economic growth is is sluggish, but, uh, you know, continues, the economy continues to grow. And in that environment, uh, you know, it, it's kind of good for everything. We, we still have central banks being very supportive uh, of the market. So, 
Why not is the question. I mean, is, is this somewhat of a return to the pre-election kind of period? Like, you know, in the summer of last year where, you know, you had interest rates so low that essentially, you know, the stock market, even though people didn't have a lot of conviction in the stock market or confidence in the stock market, people had nowhere else to go. So they were sort of piling money into um, stocks. I mean, I think that's probably fair. Um, the, the the stock market has been going up, but as Chris has been writing, uh, you know, uh, a, a lot about, it's really, you know, a couple of the stocks are really driving outsized gains. The the so-called FANG stocks, which we are, I guess, now sort of expanding to FANG with two A's and then maybe replacing the N with an M. Fung? I think Is it's now fum? like FAMG. Yeah, to give it a, yeah. It's nice because since uh, since Alphabet, the parent of Google, you can kind of use that acronym both ways if you want. You can use it as an A or a G. It depends. So you got a little flexibility. Yeah. But, I mean, just to back to that point, right, I mean, it's not too hot, not not too cold. There's still this, I think, this prevailing sense that there's just what else are you going to do? There is no alternative. You're still going to sort of pump money into stocks, but, you know, you're probably not going to dump everything into stocks. You're going to buy a little bit of bonds even though they don't yield very much. It's sort of this this stasis. Well, and, and the other thing, too, is getting back to Ben's story, the, talk a little bit about the liquidity and the financial conditions that exist today. Yeah, that's actually one of the, um, you know, one of the key conditions that I think has probably allowed the rally to take place is you, know, you have these gauges of financial conditions, which usually take into account things like credit spreads and uh, the value of the dollar, what equities are doing, where rates are, and it's really just sort of a measure of of uh, the ease of borrowing and the ease with which money can sort of flow uh, into the economy. And, and right now, it's pretty good. This The Goldman Financial Conditions Index is, is at its lowest, or this week it was at its lowest Actually, I might have messed that up. This month, it was at its lowest since um, 2015, and uh, that lo- the the low level of the index generally means conditions are pretty good. Um, so even though yeah, you've had the Fed lift rates a couple times, financial conditions are still uh, very very easy. Uh, they haven't they haven't really tightened, and and I think that is a response to as as we've been sort of talking about here this 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 Goldilocks idea that. Um, not too hot, not too cold. And what about how many times previously can you give a you know can you give a sense of this if not a real number uh, that, that we've seen this like you know gold going up, treasury prices going up, stocks going up. Um, you know, is that rel- is that co- common or is it pretty rare? And what happens when that does happen? What's what's the future sort of? What does history tell us about the future? Uh, asking the tough questions here. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I don't have all that data on hand at the moment, but I would point to last year, as you mentioned. Last summer was sort of another period of um, just kind of lack of activity, uh, kind of driving markets up in tandem. You had uh, stocks and bonds both rising together and, and actually had the sort of rare factoid of the 10-year Treasury yield hitting a record low at the same time as stocks hit a record high. That that kind of thing is very unusual, um, uh, you know, to see a uh, a, a, a dual record like that. But that said, you know, the relationship between stocks and bonds can shift from time to time. And especially when you're in sort of a transitioning phase from, you know, a period of uh, falling rates to a period of rising rates, um, this kind of thing can happen. But 
I guess one thing to sort of emphasize here is, uh, you know, pe- people seem to think rates are going to go up. They've been thinking rates are going to go up for years and years, and perhaps they will. But it seems that they're rising slowly enough that it's not, you know, rising rates doesn't necessarily uh, eat into the 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 um, doesn't raise borrowing costs enough for companies that it actually you know causes companies to uh, go under in, in large quantities and you know big waves of bankruptcies or anything like that um, at least pull, at the or moment pull back on you know trying to raise capital to buy you know, or to invest right right in the business. smoothness with, with which rates have gone up from that record low with, we saw last year isn't really impeding you know companies ability to do the things that make their stock prices rise. Let's take a quick break. We will come back with more. Uh, ben Eisen, Chris Dietrich, Stephen Grosser, Paul Vigna talking about, well, talking about the markets. So how do we get AI right? Well, we need the right volume of data, the software to train it, and massive compute power, or... Another one bites the dust. Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat? But with HPE GreenLake, we get access to supercomputing to power AI at the scale we need, helping generate better insights. All right. Nice teamwork, guys. Search HPE GreenLake. Make sure to check out the Future of Everything podcast, because the future is closer than you think. All new episodes each Friday in June. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. Welcome back to Money Beat here in New York City, a Friday in June. Uh, ben Eisen, Chris Dietrich, Stephen Grosser, and Paul Vigna coming at you. Uh, and hey, did anyone go to the Fox and Friends concert this morning? Who was it? Who was it out there? Yeah, exactly. Who was it? Yeah, I don't know. Some band I never heard of. Uh, King Country for King and Country or something. Something like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. A little bit of color there for you folks. We're uh, here in New York City. That's the color? And, uh, yeah, sorry. That's the color, actually. You know, that's Although, it's, isn't it true in a few weeks? The most we'll, exciting thing I saw on the street this morning. Uh, line I mean, up a little strike. band called Hanson in a few weeks. Yeah. Hanson in a couple of weeks. Sarah Krause. Sarah Krause. Well known to our, our this podcast audience. Uh, oddly enough, huge Hanson fan. Yep. She'll, she will be out there with her sister. For that concert Seriously? on July 14th. Yes. Seriously? She's planning it. Oh so is she going to wait God. in line? Is that the... And I would like to think that I'm shaming her right now, but there's no shame. There's no She's shame. proud. <laughs> she owns it. Hey, man. It. Hanson is... Uh, I'm not... Yeah. Uh, What's the Hanson. deal? They stuck together the whole time, and now they're just... Who I, knows? They, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know they... Uh. I didn't know they were like... They're like total one-hit wonder band. Uh, but anyhow, so, if you're it, in New York City on June 14th, uh, 7 to 9, not that I'm giving Fox July a plug. 14th, July 14th. Oh, July 14th. 14th. Yeah. Not that I'm giving Fox a plug, but uh, Sarah Krause will be in the audience for Hanson. Let's get back. Well, yeah, let's get yeah. back to like some... That was, that uh, was a bad uh, interview. <laughs> but, but Chris sort of saved it a little bit. Let's he get did, back to did. like the work that you've been doing today, Paul. Because uh, I would like to talk about how this, you know, the, the liquidity that we have in the market now is benefiting Bonds. You know, th- this, 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 I have to say this is really interesting. You know, we have this, we were talking about everything's going up. Why is everything going up? Something should we, uh, and when you really, it's interesting, when you really come down to it, the fact of the matter is for all the, the talk 
that these central banks are making about changing policy, about reversing, the Fed's tightening, uh, you know, the ECB, they took away the or lower, it's a little bit of the language, you know, they all want to make this policy turn. The fact of the matter is that the global central banks are still pumping huge amounts of liquidity into the marketplace. And uh, I got some data this morning from Mer- from Bank of America, Merrill Lynch's Michael Hartnett, and what he, he started off talking about the bond market and the fact that... Uh, last week, there was $16 billion put into bond funds, which was the highest number in, in more than two years. And what, what was it? And one did really particularly well. It was like corporate high yield. Yeah, it was uh, uh, corporate right. investment grade, investment grade yeah. got almost $10 billion of that. So people are putting money, lots of money, into these funds. But the thing that he kind of gets down to later is that the central banks this year have created $1.5 trillion in in new money, in new liquidity. That's a lot of money. These banks are still pumping money into the, the economy. And we always say, you know, we're, Ben, and you and I were talking about, as we were walking up here, we were saying, well, you know, things were, you know, was Washington bad? Was it good? The market didn't seem to notice. Why didn't the market notice? Yeah. The market doesn't care. All this money is coming in, and people are just buying, and they are looking for growth where they can find it. And, and Chris, you were, you know, I want to talk about your piece, you know, the stocks. Uh, they're looking for growth. They're looking for yields. They are. They there is money to be put to work. So all these sort of geopolitical things. You know, the ECB is talking about liquidity. The UK election is a complete surprise. The markets ignore all that. Why? Because the central banks are still pumping. And that's and that's. I mean, after many years, eight years, after nine years, many years, it's uh, the idea of the central bank backstop or the put. It's it's, uh, right. it's stronger than ever in this in this rising right. rate environment. I guess. And I think the other factor. Another factor with this, too, is there is all this money that needs to go somewhere, right? And there, things have been so quiet. There's so few reactions to these seemingly market-moving news that I think that feeds on itself, where it's like things seem less risky than they might potentially be, since moves have been so right. staid, so basic. I mean, why wouldn't you put money into things? There's been zero volatility for the entire year. So in a lot of ways, it seems like the risks have diminished Um simply because yeah. things aren't moving. They're just sort of inching up like Ben had Every written. even small sell-off is met by a new round of buying. In hours. Oh, hours, right. And one, I, I'd like to sort of bring two points into this. One is sort of more of a frivolous point of we've had a bond market, a bond bull market for 30 years. Right. And the death of that market has been called so many times More times years. than the death of Bitcoin. Yeah. And, or, or Mark Twain. And, or Mark Twain. And, and you know, Every time, as you know, everyone's sure that it's right. over, you know, you look a few months out and it's like, yeah. nope, nope, it's yeah. coming back. I mean, it's amazing. The other thing, though, is, and this gets into the Fed policy and this gets into sort of the, you know, the liquidity issue, is one of the reasons why they keep, you know, flooding the market is because, you know, as the bonds roll over, they're reinvesting those proceeds. It's the balance sheet. It's the shrinking mm-hmm. of the balance sheet. The balance sheet isn't shrinking. This is the Fed starting to talk about that. And it looks like they're probably going to move the shrinking of the balance sheet up before the next, you know, they're going to have next week, they're going to raise rates. Right. Almost everyone 25 agrees. basis but points. But the next move might the actually night. be laying out a plan for the balance sheet, which would actually, I think, have a more significant impact yeah. on the liquidity in the market if you stop seeing the Fed reinvesting you know, its $4.5 trillion, uh, balance sheet. Right. And, and that'll be the interesting thing. Actually, we shouldn't – before we get into any kind of weeds on, on central bank policy, I, I, I start, we started to make the point about – 
uh, this this sort of search for growth, you know, because you have all this money and people are just kind of buying stocks. And and what you're ending up with, Chris Dietrich, that you wrote about is a, a small handful of, of really sort of, you know, can't miss stocks that you all know the names of are doing incredibly well. I think that, no, that's right. And this feeds, I think, into this sort of Goldilocks world where the U.S. economy isn't growing tremendously, but it's, you know, um, unemployment is the lowest in many years and so forth, right? So it's sort of this not too hot, not too cold environment. What are you going to buy? Well, you're probably going to buy shares of companies that you've heard of, shares that are intensely, uh, have sort of built distance themselves from competition in all of the kinds of businesses that are going to be around forever, like online retail, like mobile phones, Gee, right? who does online like, who retail? who does that? Yeah. And so, you know, you can sort of mess with the acronym in a lot of different ways, but we're talking about Apple, we're talking about Amazon, we're talking about Alphabet, we're talking about Microsoft. I mean, these five companies, which actually are, as of today, the five largest companies by market value in the U.S., are, have accounted for more than 40% of the S&P 500's ga- uh, gains this year. This year. So, you know, like if you're, if you're in big cap tech, you're, you're doing really well. And if you're not, you're getting left behind. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, I think, because it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of a crowded trade, but not one, everyone knows that it's crowded. And right. so, like, who sort of moves first? There's a little bit of tension there, I think. When we were talking to portfolio managers who own millions and millions and millions and have, you know, their entire portfolio invested in some cases in 15% of Amazon are sort of like, yeah, I get it that they're these are expensive, but, I, you know, do you not want to own Amazon in five years? Do you think online retail is going to diminish in the next five years? No. So it'll be interesting to see in the short run whether the sort of crowding you know, head for the exits in the in the in the in the movie theater will will jolt these up, and it's worth noting actually those stocks are down actually pretty sharply today. Today, Friday. today, yeah. well, yeah, really I mean, for that the was first time I'm, in a while. Well, that's one of the things I was going to ask about too. Is like the last two days have sort of been an interesting sort of reversal from what we'd seen a lot, for a lot of this year. Financials have both the regional and uh, the big banks have done very well um, the past two days. You've also seen the Russell do very well. Um, so you've sort of seen, you know, it was, it's almost like the Trump trade for the last two days has sort of come well, back. The, the, the financials have to be tied to the Dodd-Frank vote, right? The, uh, no, I mean, the, I, the I, bill to roll back some element to Dodd-Frank. I, I think that might be overstating it yeah. just because um, essentially most everyone believes that that's going to die at the Senate. Like, no, that every analyst yeah. basically doesn't. Maybe that's helping give it a boost. The bo- the, the run came on Wednesday. Could maybe have to do with, you know, the 10-year, the, you know, yields on the Treasury sort of um, stopped, you know. Stopped falling? Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, like, as much as they had. But that's, I mean, there really isn't a good reason. It might yeah. just be because financials have been sort of underperforming. Well, so I just there is a ton of money, money out there looking for places to go. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if the follow-through, but I mean, if you liked Amazon two days ago, you're probably going to like it on Monday. And so whether or not this is just another minor dip that gets immediately bought, I think that'll be telling about sort of what the, the, the sort of temperature and, in the market and, and, is. And, and I think that gets at, at sort of an interesting point uh, that, you know, there is sort of like a, a divergence between the haves and the have-nots in tech. I mean, tech stocks generally have done very well this year, but some have done like extraordinarily well and it's sort of almost a bet that like these five companies or these seven or ten or whatever companies are going to be like the companies of the future and you know in order to have a PE ratio of over 30 for Amazon like you kind of have to be betting like Amazon's going to be like 
like like Amazon's gonna be like a utility company in like ten years or something like that. I, I mean, I'm exaggerating a bit, but like that seems to be sort of a bet that underlies you know a lot of the money that's flowing around here to some no, extent. I, there is a belief that these have, and we've said this on this podcast many times. We've written almost unassail uh, you know businesses unassailable businesses like they can gen- they're generating tons of revenue and they don't really have massive competitors someone who can you know or there's not going to be some new fresh company that's going to come out come in and steal facebook's business or google's business or amazon's business that they're like fairly safe and in many cases the biggest competitors in any of these businesses are each other yeah. right i mean like think of netflix is probably biggest rival is amazon um and that's sort of going to be Microsoft's cloud computing business competes with Amazon's, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's like it'll be really interesting to see how that goes. But you're right. And all of them are going to mobile. And, and I mean, and interestingly, on, on that point, like, so, like the risks of some of these companies are like different risks than you would get in most companies like like antitrust. Like that, like that might be a risk more so than like like a default or something like that. You know, I would just caution that there are no unassailable companies. History proves there are no unassailable companies. But, but, <laughs> but I mean, in the next, you know, we're talking. It depends on your time frame. Right? Well, yeah, sure, of course. I mean, obviously, Ma Bell. You Ma know, Bell, exactly. Unassailable. Ma, un- um, GM, Kodak, GM, GM, Kodak. But it, it's not. History like that. is that, littered but that with unassailable that companies. That rarely comes overnight. I would say that. If you if you want to if you want to point to a reason to be worried, sort of in the short term about these, I think I think one that came out today actually Ben wrote about it in a note. When these five big tech companies have been the if you group them off by themselves, they've been all, in addition to being some of the best performers of the year, they've also been the least volatile. Yeah. So like it's very bizarre to have growth companies become the safe havens in the market, mm. and it seems almost completely counterintuitive. But right. that's rare and unusual and and reflects this sort of crowding behavior where a stock like Apple can be, um, if you're a value investor, that looks good to you. If you're a growth investor, that looks good to you. I looked under the hood of momentum ETFs have Apple in it. Guess what else have Apple in it? Low volatility ETFs. I mean, the fact that literally every kind of strategy is buying these up is unusual and like a little bit worrisome in the short term, even if you think that Apple is going to knock it out of the park with its new iPhone, right. or that Amazon is going to dominate e-commerce for years to come. I mean, the short-term moves—you know—look, things don't go up forever, right? We know that. And and I mean, I would also like you know preface that if you look back at like the first half of 2016, you did see a sell-off in a lot of the Fang uh, names. Their earnings, you know, were, which were fine, do they? You know, in many cases, fell a little bit short of expectations. People booked profits because the markets were going down, and you're going to sell your winners. Um, so, I mean, when everyone's piled in there, and these are the big winners, if the market starts selling off, those are going to be the ones you're most likely to sell. And when you do that en masse, and it's a lot of people doing yeah. it, that can build on itself very quickly. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's leave it on that happy note, <laughs> gentlemen. Thank you for coming in, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you very soon. Follow the Wall Street Journal on your favorite podcast app. Search WSJ on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and any Amazon Alexa device. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. 
Discover more at viking.com.